I'm Sean Lukasik, and you're listening to the Paisanos Podcast. This podcast focuses on internet culture and its effect on every aspect of life. So I can't think of a more appropriate guest than Kate Lindsay. Kate is the co-founder of Embedded, a newsletter all about the ins and outs of the internet. And she writes a monthly internet culture column for Vulture. Kate is also a frequent contributor to publications like The Atlantic, The Guardian, GQ, and The New York Times. I recommend her newsletter several times throughout this conversation, but if you like this podcast, you really should be checking out her work on all platforms. I contacted Kate to talk with her about one of her recent embedded essays, but we ended up on several fun tangents, like why social media is feminine and how TikTok may have turned us all into lurkers. If you enjoy this conversation, you can find Kate's work at embedded.substack.com or just about anywhere you read about the internet. And of course, please share this one on all the social media platforms with all your friends and paisanos, even if no one responds. Thanks so much for listening. Here's Kate Lindsay. So, Kate Lindsay, I'm really excited to have you on the Paisanos podcast. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, um, I uh, have been reading your embedded newsletter now for quite some time, and I love your writing. And um, this podcast is sort of about how real life and internet culture come together. And you wrote this article recently that I wanted to start with um, about influencers in the wild and how this account that makes fun of people making content for the internet is thriving, has millions of followers, um, is very snarky and corny and outdated. Um, and of course is hypocritical in the sense that we all follow influencers. There are millions, if not billions of people following the people who create this content. We just don't like seeing it being created. Can you talk about where the idea for that article came from and, uh, maybe start by just kind of giving us your synopsis? Yeah. So I, in addition to writing my newsletter, I, I freelance for a few places. I'm going to let this truck pass, <laughs> of course. Um, Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I freelance for a few places, one of them being Vulture. Um, and Vulture, I did an interview with uh, this creator named Sabrina, but I think most people who are familiar with her would know her as Tube Girl, which is she um, makes these videos on the tube or the London Underground. Uh, and and they're so – basically she dances to songs without kind of a care in the world that she's in a public place, in a car, just kind of using the tube as her runway. And people really liked it for that reason where they were like, "What? Like, where do you get your confidence? Um, how, how do you just sort of ignore that there are these people that are watching you? And so when I was writing sort of the introduction to that interview, I sort of was referencing that shame that people have when they want to make content in public, that there's still like a, like there's a lot of anxiety around it. And I sort of mentioned offhand, it's fueled by accounts like influencers in the wild, which I hadn't looked at in like truly years, but I wanted to link to them in the piece. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Oh, let me find them. I linked. And that was when I realized like, Oh, this account is still going like this didn't trickle off. It still has millions of followers. They're posting like almost every day. And what was so, well, I, I think in general, uh, influence, the work of creators has always been, devalued like from the mm -hmm. get-go incorrectly. Um, so it's not like its original premise was fine, but it made even less sense now because it was called Influencers in the Wild, but the people that appear on the account are not at least like, they're, they're not influencers in the sense that I recognize any of them or that anyone right. would recognize any of them. No one ever in the comments is like, oh, that's so-and-so because the people who make this content are no longer just influencers or like a small group. It's kind of everyone. Um, the internet and how we use social media has really moved towards um, we all have adopted the same posting patterns and, mm -hmm. and um, dialect even of the mm -hmm. creators who kind of pioneered this. And so when I was looking at it, I was like, well, one, 
this this isn't punching. I don't know who was ever punching up, but it's certainly not punching up anymore because yeah. these are regular people who were just trying to, you know, they're not. I, they're they're not doing anything. They're taking pictures of themselves, and there's some of this implicit thing that like the fact that they want a picture of themselves taken somewhere that's pretty makes them sort of morally, um, I don't know, vapid or yeah. that yeah that, that that the message of all of it is like look at these people who think they're so hot and they're doing it, and that's not the appropriate way to like appreciate a moment because like a lot of them are at like really beautiful places and they want a picture of themselves with the beautiful thing and people mm-hmm. you know and just all the comments are just like really tearing into these people and I thought that was it was the first time it occurred well one so there was the one sort of aspect of these aren't influences anymore this is all of us but mm-hmm. it, it felt additionally ironic for people in the comments to be sort of making fun of this stuff when sort of the the fact that they are commenting on Instagram meant they were scrolling Instagram, which meant they were consuming like every post surrounding this was someone who had to do that exact same thing, like get a picture of themselves taken or take a selfie Um, that when they saw it from that perspective, I assume they had less contempt for it. And so it was like, that's really interesting that seeing how it gets made still really evokes this frustration or um, disgust from us. And I you know, not as an influencer in the wild level, but I would similarly, like, I, you know, especially I live in New York City, I see people taking pictures of themselves, vlogging all the time. And there is this knee jerk, like, ah, like, I don't know. And I, and so I was like, I want to, I want to um, try to unpack like why that is still so weird to see when consuming that stuff is so normal. And it's not a way we react, like, in New York City, when I see a movie set, when I see a movie right. set, I'm like, ooh, who is it? Um, but still, for some reason, that, that, that hasn't, carried on over to, to influencers, which I would argue now are just as prominent of a form of entertainment. <laughs> well, and the the creator of the Influencers in the Wild Instagram account has been on Shark Take recently because oh now God. he has uh, a board game, Influencers in the Wild board game. So just the, the layers of hypocrisy and mm-hmm. irony just get like thicker and thicker. It's kind of crazy. Um, and of course, now he's becoming his own recognizable figure. And it's like, <laughs> that was something too, that I didn't get into in the piece, but cause I, I couldn't, uh, like I try to keep my newsletter posts, like not nothing too lengthy. And so, uh, I didn't dive into it as much as I would have were a larger piece, but it's like when you are an account with millions of followers, like even if you're not doing this thing that you're villainizing, you are like you, right. you have an audience, you're catering to them. Um, I, I couldn't in my initial search, I didn't go far enough to like, buy, but I'm sure they've, they have like a partnerships email, which means I'm certain they've done brand deals, like mm-hmm. all this stuff that they would be making fun of other people doing. And now I actually didn't know about the board game, which is like, <laughs> I, I already the account was dated and then coming out with a board game. It's like, what is backwards. this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, now, uh, you do mention in the piece, um, and just going to read a sentence in here, mm-hmm. um, while shaming influencers for their work was already a questionable premise. The account has aged poorly. It's corny, dated, and has a specific vendetta against women and gay men. Um, of course, the creator of the account is a straight white mm-hmm. man. Um, and so, you know, it, it brings that point home. Um, how much of that is sort of like a microcosm of, of the internet experience as a whole for, for women, for uh, marginalized communities? Like the, the experience of just simply using, posting to, mm-hmm. commenting on the internet is so different for women, for gay men, for minorities than it is for straight white men who, of course, create the account that we're talking about here. Um, do you experience the same thing? Is Do you feel like that is a microcosm of just sort of the internet as a whole? I have noticed, um, well, that's, it's, it's, I think it's all about language and the words that are used to describe what different people are doing. Because I think social media is very feminine. And I do think that um, sort of the the things, you know, I'm also coming from a a very female focused experience of growing Mm -hmm. up on the internet. But so a lot of the figures I saw who pioneered, like, like all the YouTubers I followed were women because they were doing like, like hauls and and makeup and but also, you know, like I got into uh, YouTube through Harry Potter. So I was like watching all these people who talk about Harry Potter, like, um, it was very, I don't, I, 
something, the way that men use social media is something I've been thinking about a lot because I feel like men don't feel like they can participate in the same way um, mm-hmm. because it's so feminine coded um, in terms of like sharing your outfit in the morning or posting uh, the meal you're eating. Um mm-hmm. Those are very gender neutral activities, but you really don't see men posting like that. And I think because there is this kind of assumption that that is sort of a feminine thing to do. But I also think there's this element of there are women and men doing the same thing on the Internet, but they um, what they're doing they get different titles because of their, their gender. Like um, I think men are more like a woman's an influencer. A man is like an entrepreneur or like a thought leader type of thing. Um, So I I think it comes down to, to things like that. And then I also think um, the internet has been a great tool for people who are otherwise you know, like when it comes to sort of more marginalized communities in terms of things like race or sexual orientation, I do think the internet provided the space where these very um, by nature isolated and um, spoken over groups could connect and find common ground. Um, and and so I think that that also is, I think, a big part of the internet. Like I'm just thinking about I grew up on Tumblr and that's where I learned like everything. That's where I learned about feminism. That's where I learned about um, queer issues. That's where like I first started to be confronted with discussions about race because in my like high school in Pennsylvania, that was not happening. None of those mm-hmm. things were being talked yeah. about and it was all happening online. Um, so it's very, uh, it's very vast. And I think that those are the things that make the internet great. Um, but I think uh, as it's become more mainstream, it, it comes it comes down to to labels and um, I still think a lot of that activity when it's done by people who are queer or women it's kind of seen as like a fun hobby mm-hmm. and uh, when this even just the branding of like male creators can really um, it, they use words that exist already like yeah. entrepreneur um, where it's sort of I think these other communities get given the newer words like influencer which a lot of creators really don't I they're like I don't, don't call me that even because like it, it's a dirty word <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no and yeah. I completely agree and I I think for people who aren't familiar with your Substack newsletter um embedded I highly recommend um subscribing to that um because just as you're talking you're dropping all of these like really interesting anecdotes uh where you use the newsletter to to write a little bit about each one almost mm-hmm. every day four, four or five times a week um and uh one of the things you just said that i i can't just uh <laughs> go past um is the idea that social media is feminine and mm-hmm. you, know, you you elaborated on that a little bit but um can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Have you written about yeah. that in the past? I, I, I love that um, idea. And I think um, it just brings home so many um, experiences that I've had. And I think other people have had on social media when you're talking about like how to post, what to say, what to call yourself. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, I, I can totally see how it's a different experience for men and women. Yeah. So I think. That came from honestly seeing a tweet from someone who actually deleted it within seconds. So I'm not going to like <laughs> out them. Um, but they were kind of responding to a tweet that was kind of talking about like, why aren't men, why don't we see this stuff from men? And mm-hmm. th- it was a, a a man who had tweeted the, the response being like, essentially uh, paraphrasing because it got deleted so quickly. But yeah. when we post like that, it's it, it gets made fun of or it's not seen like as legitimate. Um, and I thought that was so interesting because I also write a lot for GQ because Nick, who is my editor at Embedded, is also the site director at GQ. And so um, sometimes I'll do some stuff for them. And so it's made me th- I grew up in women's media or not grew up. Um, my career grew up. I grew up in my career in women's media <laughs> exclusively. Like I, not until Nick did I ever have like a male boss. And so what I've thought, I've just been thinking about masculinity in a very new way. Um, mm-hmm. And in a way that I hope is positive because I think having been in women's media for so long, it's not that men are villainized, but it was very siloed. And I think kind of my interest in writing for GQ has been about this masculine experience that I think is not represented. Like when you think of um, 
outlets for men on social media, they're very one note. Uh, it's like Barstool or yeah. um, just like a very specific type of branding that f- doesn't represent at all like the men in my life. Um, yeah. And actually one of the early posts for Embedded was about this, uh, we called it the gentle guy internet where it was whatever my uh, boyfriend, whenever we're like, you know, we're having like laptop time before we go to sleep which actually I try not to do anymore. I think it's bad to look at his laptop before bed, but this is earlier. Um, I would look over and just see some of the weird things he was doing um, that I, you know, he'd be looking at like hour long vlogs from guys who have like a GoPro on their head and they're like camping in the wild. And they're just like, there's like not any flashy editing. It's like one long take of them like making dinner camping or, um, A lot of it's like, um, I think it's called like stealth camping or something where they're like trying to camp in in places they're not supposed to and see if they can get away with it. Um, But it was all like very wholesome and and gentle, but still masculine. And I was like, this is so interesting to me because it's just not something that you – see like this a creator who he also follows who I think is just like so nice is this guy um I think is he has like a he reviews potato chips and that's it like he just reviews (laughs) potato chips and one of the key things is like he puts the potato chips in a sandwich and reviews it based on that like are they good in a sandwich so it's just like little things like that that um I was having this discussion last night like I love when people use the internet for an intrinsic reason, whereas like they just genuinely love something like reviewing potato chips and they're not really interested in the getting like tons of feedback about it. Um, and so I don't know. So basically seeing, seeing that and then um, there was a really good sort of men's publication called Mel that ha- had a few stops and starts, but I believe is not a going concern anymore. But one of the things that was a shame about it going was I felt like that was the closest to kind of being representative of not all masculinity, but certain type of masculinity that you don't see online because I think because online is so feminine, um, you get either, you get like the bar stool stuff or you, everything else. And that kind of gets categorized as female. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I genuinely was like, it's, I, I want there to be, I'm all, I'm always interested in these sort of pockets of the internet that aren't talked about. And this felt like a huge gap. And I know I'm like rambling about this, but it affects no. like so much because I, yeah. I, this is something I wrote recently. Cause like my boyfriend and I've been together for five years now and we had started talking about the future and we kind of had these different ideas of what like the next steps of life would look like. Like to me, I'm like, Oh, like maybe a house and we, we renovate the house and then like kids and all this stuff. And when I saw that, when I pictured that, I pictured a lot of very exciting things. And when he pictured it, he's picturing like the slow descent into just being boring. And I think for me, I was like, I wonder if the discrepancy there is like, since I was a teenager, I followed creators who are a little bit older than me Mm -hmm. on YouTube and stuff. And so I've watched these female creators um, enter that next stage of life and document it and, um, I don't want to say romanticized because that makes it sound like it's not truthful, but they just, they posted content that makes basically made me excited where I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I can see what's coming. I have this model, a a thing to aspire to. And it's because I follow these creators. And I was like, and he doesn't have that because that doesn't really exist for him. Um, And that's like a huge thing that for men, like men don't really have a model of, of, life that can be um, exciting when they get past like a certain age in a way that because of the advent of internet culture, it feels like women have really like sort of taken on themselves to do. And so it's so, it's a really broad answer, but I just think there's so many ways where social media is feminine and that's great. Like it's great that women have found this space to kind of really express themselves. But I think there's also like a huge conversation about masculinity right now, especially in the U S and I, it would be great to um, see more of at least them. I don't know the, the more leveled kind of regular masculinity that is out there, but that you yeah. just don't, don't see online. And, and it's not all like, I don't want to keep naming barstool, but you know, the barstool esque places where it's like, it's one, it's one way or nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I mean, I just had this conversation recently with with a friend of mine. We're both um, golf nerds. Love the history of the sport, the the beauty of the the clubs themselves, the architecture of the golf courses. Um, we both listen a lot to uh, the same uh, mm-hmm. golf podcast. Um, and my friend was just lamenting about how uh, these guys who who there are two guys just a little older than me who do the podcast. Um, I'll talk about the sport from the same aspect, kind of like really mm-hmm. nerdy, know the history, know everything about it in really beautiful way. Um, but they always start the podcast by saying something like, oh, I'm a little bit hungover. This will be a short one today. Or, um, God, the kids are driving me mm-hmm. crazy today. Like I got to get out and, and help the wife. This will be, this is going to be a shorter podcast today. And it's like, And then it never is, you know, like it's never short. Uh, They talk about all this stuff. And it's my friend was saying, like, how annoying it is that they start Mm -hmm. every podcast like that. And I never thought about how like I was just thinking like oh, well, that's just like a regular human thing. Like that's a little bit like ingratiating almost. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really interesting to think about how that that's actually just coded in the language of, mm-hmm. of older men whose experience is supposed to degrade, is supposed mm-hmm. to get more boring later in life. And um, God, now you've really got me. <laughs> you know, it's, I, about- yeah, it's, it's wild because like I also kind of see it like my parents – have gotten into YouTube, which is kind of wild because that's like how I started on the internet. And just seeing like the stuff that my dad watches and also like other friends of theirs I've spoken to, how um, because of this void of content for men, how susceptible they are to the kind of radicalization that gets talked about in Mm turn because certain videos – my dad like knows the name like Jordan Peterson, so knows not to click on those mm-hmm. videos, but <laughs> yeah. that has started getting recommended to him. And it's like, well, I can understand why if you don't resonate with one of the very limited versions of masculinity that are represented on the internet, you could turn to this version. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the Andrew Tate of it all. And I just, yeah, I don't, obviously there's lots more stuff at play, but I do think like the lack of, um, the lack of, if more, if men felt more comfortable using social media without sort of the fear of it being feminine coded, I wonder if it would dilute how susceptible young men seem to be to going down like a darker path. I don't know. That might be really simplified, but it's just, it's something that it it doesn't surprise me that with such limited options available, we're seeing men fall kind of into a darker side of things, especially when YouTube is like putting it in front of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and instead of just grappling with what is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and moving forward with it anyways, I know that that's hard to do. And to your point, that's much oversimplified, but, um, yeah, we're not trained that yeah. way. <laughs> How interesting. Um, so, uh, going back to the the article you wrote about influencers mm-hmm. in the wild, um, the way that it ended was really interesting to me. And the the Paisano's podcast is is called Paisano's podcast because of a TED talk that I did ten years ago about labeling the difference between the people you meet online mm. and the people that you meet in real life. And I just use the label of of a Paisano to sort of talk about people in real life that you get these actual natural health benefits by being close to, by by having community with. Um, And at the end of the article, you say that um, the relationships that we build online with peers or with our favorite content creators are no less legitimate um, than, and you're comparing that to, you know, the people that we meet in real life. Um, Now I did that Ted talk 10 years ago. And the the entire landscape of the internet has changed. And I know that it is possible to create these relationships that really are uh, legitimate Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to to borrow your word. And so um, I just wanted to ask about that. And it it was just something, you know, in one sentence. But if you could talk a little bit about the relationships that you've built online, either with your peers, your favorite creators, um, and how maybe that's evolved over the years. Yeah. So... Yeah, I'll start with like peers because like like I said, I grew up on Tumblr and so I had a lot of Tumblr specific friends. And what was really helpful about that was it was kind of like 
a neutral space to talk about problems that I was having without I mean, I'm like describing what is valuable about a therapist, but I was a teenager. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it hadn't occurred to me. But like, you know, like if I was dealing with friendship issues or um, uh, like relationship issues, I went to a school that was not like small, small, but small enough that they're, and you know, it's high schoolers. So it's just like none of that information is uh, private or trusted, uh, even mm-hmm. among friends. And also it was during a time of... Um, you know, that's when you're exploring identity. And I think it can feel very vulnerable to explore identity in front of people who've known you for a while. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So the internet, that, that's what the, how the internet was really helpful for me was I could just like explore different parts of myself in front of an, an audience that didn't already have a preconceived idea of who I was. And also people who I could just talk to about what was happening with like a breakup or something. And it, it would never get back to the people mm-hmm. that the story was about because these were sort of independent people. But we never met up. There are people who met up, but I knew from the beginning my parents would have never let me met up with anyone <laughs> from the internet, so I didn't even try. Um, yeah. And there are people – it's funny that they still like linger in the sense that as technology progressed, we would like friend each other on Facebook and then Instagram and Twitter, and they're still there. And I'll see them pop up, and I'll see they're doing great, and we don't really talk anymore, but it's this weird sort of lingering thing. Um, and then moving to New York and being in media, so much of – media for like better or worse is on Twitter. And Mm -hmm. so even like last night I went to an event that Substack did. And so I guess this is more Substack focused, but it was a lot of people who I knew because of their like avatars or I knew Mm -hmm. their names, but I didn't know them, but I also did know them because I've like read all this, all their thoughts. Um, And there were these weird moments of introduction and being like, it's so weird to meet someone who you already know, if that makes like, it's like, yes, totally. absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and like, you don't, it, you don't fall into like a rhythm immediately because it's like, like to me, it's still so wild because, um, the, the, a newsletter is like a very, for the reader, a private experience, like it's going into their inbox and it's between them and the inbox. So like, I don't get much, um, much, uh, not confirmation, but I don't I don't see really in a meaningful way how many people are reading the newsletter. I mean, I can see a number, but just in terms of like um, it's when I meet people in real life who say they read it, it always is so hard for my brain to comprehend because what I feel like I'm doing is sending something that goes out into a void. And then Mm -hmm. I don't really see that people read it in like a way like with my own eyes. Um, And so it's so it's so bizarre. It's like that was happening last night. And it's just like, that's so it, it's, I don't know if I'll ever be able to like, understand it probably. But like, you know, so it's all this stuff where it's like, I'm like, okay, you now know a lot about me, because I just like put a lot of stuff in there. I don't know anything about you. Or I do know these things about you. But it's like, it feels more intimate to bring them up in person. Or sometimes we're like rehashing stuff that I know the answer to because I've read it. But because we're talking <laughs> in real life, I don't want to be like, yeah, I know or whatever. Um, But like, those are the, you know, through Substack, through Twitter, I've met people that went on to become like my very close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I've like met past like partners on these things. Like they do, there's weirdness, but they do translate. Um, and so it's not, it's certainly not a one-to-one replacement at all. Um, but it's an interest, it's a real relationship that I do think is made more, um, I think if they're online only, that serves a purpose. Um, but then to bring them into real life is like another, to me feels still, I will still always feel like that's more meaningful, but um, it doesn't, not to say that people who you only talk to online aren't, it's just two different roles. But then in terms of like the relationship that's built with a creator, um, it's something that like, cause parasocial relationship became like such a buzzword these past few years. Um and I think it, that's such a real thing, but um, it's not that the friend, the friendship or the relationship people feel they have with a person they follow isn't real because, you know, it, it, because it's slightly different than like an actor who you love, who does all these roles mm-hmm. um, because they're playing characters, but sort of a person you really love online is sharing a lot of themselves with you. Um, and... It, and you can 
you know, maybe you've built a relationship with them either just from the ways that you, you relate to them, even if they're not like you never spoken directly, or maybe you have, like they can respond to you in ways that typical celebrities don't. Um, but then sort of when I wrote about this somewhat recently, it was when Hank Green, who's one of the vlog brothers was diagnosed with cancer, um, mm-hmm. which he is thankfully, I believe in remission for now. He's definitely sort of on on a positive path but everyone was in a really weird all the fans of his like I followed him since I was a a, a tween and I'm not like a dedicated person necessarily like I dip in and out of the videos but I still feel like that is a long relationship I've had with this person who does not know who Mm -hmm. I am and who then in this moment I don't know how to help um because this was when he announced it it was it's scary you want this is someone like you know if someone if your friend had done this you'd be like okay i'm gonna cook for you i'm gonna send you movies and we do all this stuff right. and like in his video he specifically was like he because he well to me i'm one person and he's one person to him he's one person and then there's millions of people who now are like what can we do and like that's you're already dealing with a health scare like that's very overwhelming and he kind of very i think helpfully acknowledged that and was like here's he knew people were going to want to do something, but he was like, I have people in my life who are helping. Like, you do not need to like, I don't know, do, but I don't think anyone even knew, but like, you don't need to come up with what you need to do. He's like, all I want you to do is recommend dumb movies to me. And everyone <laughs> in the comments was like, all right, here's a dumb movie. Here's a dumb movie. And, um, and it was good because it gave people something to do. But I was, when I was writing about it, I was looking at the, the fan base is called nerd fighters. And I was just looking at them in the Reddit talking about it. And they all were just like, this is so weird this is someone who I've known for like over half my life and this is such a significant thing they're going through and I don't know what to do and it's like that's a real because it's a real relationship and there is nothing really to be done and I think that's hard to swallow when you care about someone but this is like a specific instance where it's like caring about them in this moment would be respecting his wishes to be like I don't know not not bombarding him and so it's it's weird there's not it is parasocial but I don't think parasocial needs to always be negative because I don't think anyone who I saw in this instance was being inappropriate. Everyone was very cognizant that they wanted to do the right thing and no one really knew what it was. (laughs) Well, and it's a little reminiscent almost of online dating as Mm -hmm. well, because that, that is one-to-one, you know, that is where, you know, one person ideally is sharing something about themselves, the other person. And you get these sort of like, topics you Mm -hmm. get these like thought out and curated um conversations but then when you meet that person even though you have the background of the information Mm -hmm. like you were talking about at at the Substack event last night you have the background you you feel like you know things but like when it's then combined with personality and um everything else that goes with being with someone Mm -hmm. in person that's when you really get to know somebody um yeah. you can say oh we both love hiking or we both love reading this book or something but um but the way that you interact the way that you talk about it it, it and the way that you're talking about these like parasocial relationships um make me think of of that as well even though it's not you know one to a million right um, no you need to know like there's so many other things which is what like which is why I'm like I don't on something online could ever replace this stuff where you're like is the person late like how do they treat waiters like all this stuff yeah. of like that are actually like very important to a relationship that you just have no idea I mean I hate to bring this up because it is a little different and also cheesy but I've been watching Love is Blind and it's like a similar Me kind too. of thing <laughs> yeah or when they meet in person yeah. it's like they could have had this really meaningful relationship and then when they're together it's a dud and there's and it is it's like confounding to be like wait why can't this translate and I just think because there's just so much more to a person and when you I have had the experience of like I said I met like a past partner online and when we finally met up oh my god I was like I can't even look you in the eye I'm so Mm. like self-conscious because now I have like a body and like (laughs) so do you and it's so weird um yeah and I don't I don't know and I wonder if that weirdness is what is contributing to like seeing people film content influencers in the wild kind of stuff. But it's like, sure. I don't know, like online and offline worlds are the most integrated they've ever been. I don't know what it will look like if we to like, I don't look, will we get to a spot where there won't be that awkwardness anymore? Like I do, I, I don't know. I kind of, mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know. I, this sounds like boomery, but I kind of hope not. Like I kind of hope <laughs> it doesn't become so synonymous that but like I, 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 I think there's things that are special in both of them because they are kind of exclusive to each other. Right. And I just wonder what will be lost if we completely blur them. But also, like, I'm sure if we do, I can hear myself in 50 years being like, ah, and everyone being like, all right. <laughs> like, right. and or I don't want to be that. Yeah. <laughs> five years, maybe it's also. Uh, yeah. but, you know, and I think like um, I, I mentioned this to you in, in sort of a topic ahead of time, mm-hmm. but related to, to this article about influencers um, is the idea that that Gen Z mm-hmm. um, sometimes called Zoomers because of their boomer like behavior yeah. um, and the, the blending of real world and internet mm-hmm. world um happens uh that generation is much more comfortable with blurring yeah. those lines um and there's the example of like gen z going to concerts and recording the whole yeah. thing or not even facing the stage because they want to get themselves in the shot mm-hmm. with the artist um and people especially of other generations get really annoyed by that behavior yeah. because and even I think within Gen Z, you know, there there's this this faction that would say, go to the concert, enjoy the music, drink a beer, mm-hmm. smell what it's like, you know, here and other people, you know, that are like, it, did you even go if you don't share right. it on, mm-hmm. on social media? Um, and I know there are other examples of like Zoomer like behavior, mm-hmm. but do you think that's the generation that is just most comfortable with blending these things because of how they grew up? Yeah, I was thinking about this when sort of I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about. And I was trying to figure out like what is the common thread between boomers and Gen Z that this comparison happens? Because I also have like seen this and read about it. And I think it's like, I don't want to, I'm not like a boomer expert, um, but I think <laughs> my guess would be that it's like, they both have an individualism, but for totally different reasons. Like I think there's a very sort of when I see it talked about with Gen Z, like um, I mean, I, I was like I'm sympathetic because I think for a lot of a lot of them had very formative years spent entirely online, and then mm-hmm. they've emerged from that, and they're going to have some hangups from it. You know, like when I saw the Barbie movie, um, and like I said, I feel like I'm that person that's like, but um, <laughs> like the it was kind of a nightmare in the theater because it was it was just this misunderstanding that they were around other people like and yeah. that this was not that like i it seemed like they were there having a singular it was them watching the movie and we were there but like it was their experience. And so like, I just saw these girls behind me were just like talking and laughing like they were in a living room. And mm-hmm. it was so wild to me, but I think it's because like their, how they experienced the world was very individual. Um, and for, for like three years. And, and I think a lot of them, during the years when they would start to be doing these more public things, they were online. Like, you know, when they were old enough to start driving to movie theaters, well, movie theaters were closed and mm-hmm. concerts were not allowed. It's another um, going to these things after a few years of their lens being kind of disordered of like what life is, which is, I think for that, like, you know, th- they understandably, I think prioritize like what you said, like, posting the experience online as sort of mm-hmm. an away a way of um like not even like asserting their existence um and I because right. I've run into this feeling too and I specifically stopped um like I'll still post the occasional Instagram story here or there if like my cats are doing something cute or I have like a article to talk about um but uh but I started I recognized that I started to feel like nothing in my day mattered if it wasn't shared and to that point, like if it, if I couldn't get it to look good for the internet, it would I would see that as a reflection on the quality of that IRL experience, which yeah. I didn't like. Yeah. Um, like that I would be like, oh, this I would literally like feel like the concert wasn't as good as it could have been because I didn't get a picture that I liked, um, and yeah. I didn't like that that was happening and. I didn't like that. I seem to have completely devalued what you were saying, like just the experience of being there. And, um, 
and I was, and I wanted to confront like why it felt so anxiety inducing that I would do these things and no one would know about them. Like, why was it so important for me to be able to know about Mm -hmm. them? Um, And I think it was just from like uh, the much smaller amount, but that I grew up on the internet, I kind of, all the mechanisms of it were teaching me that it mattered. And I was like, Oh, I don't like this. And I pulled away. But I think that that is a hundred times more. They're being taught that, that this, that is what matters even like, way more intensely than I was. And so I yeah. think, um, so I think it's a, 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 when you are viewing your life through this lens of like a narrative, almost, I just think it, it's, it is understandable to see yourself as the most important um, person in a room. If you are running a, if your life is kind of becoming a one woman social media show kind of thing. Sure. Um, and, well, and, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, no, and I, I it's just, I, I also wanted to ask about, and not, not to like bring up too many articles. That's I cannot right. recommend embedded enough. Like I, these things like sit in my head oh for my a gosh. while. Um, when you're looking at the analytics, at least a hundred or more of the clicks are just, uh, but um, you talk about lurking and mm-hmm. I, I just, there are so many inroads into that topic. Mm-hmm. I know there was the changing social media landscape when TikTok came out and yeah. everyone was trying to respond to it and everything. But um, the fact of the matter remains that um, a lot fewer people are commenting and yeah. engaging with mm-hmm. content and more just watching it um, being presented to them mm-hmm. like they're in a movie theater yeah. uh, with their own phone. Um, and like, does that, do you think, contribute to that notion that you are putting on a performance um, yeah. or that we are putting on a performance that really needs to be curated and thought out um, and also can cause a bunch of anxiety if we don't do yeah. it right? There was just like the what the lurker piece was kind of inspired by a few different things, but I think the first, the first sort of nugget of it was a TikTok that um, – someone made where they were like, I think I figured out why I don't enjoy Instagram anymore. And it's because Mm -hmm. when I post, I just see all these people who watch my stories and none of them have interacted with it at all. Mm -hmm. And it's not that those, and and so it was like, it's not a, what this person was lamenting was that it's not a relationship anymore. Like they're, they're not, um, you're, it's just, you're just a billboard. People are looking at you and they're not saying anything. Um, and I think a lot of that is because, uh, the way that social media is, I mean, Instagram has changed so much in terms of what it, Instagram, whenever it has a new thing, it will, so first it introduces you to this concept of like likes and you get kind of addicted Mm -hmm. to the likes and and the engagement. And then once everyone has gotten addicted to that, they then kind of weaponize that feature to get you to do whatever their new thing is. And so like they introduce reels and then that from that moment on, they want people to use reels. Everyone kind of thought they were a joke. And so what they did rather than like incentivizing people with positive reinforcement to start using reels, they were like, okay, well, if you don't post a video, we're not going to show that post to your friends and you're not Mm going to get those likes that you, um, are like now conditioned to like (laughs) need like water. Um, and, and so then they kind of, but so basically through different moves like that, they've completely deprioritized commenting on someone's post or like, reaching out to them or having a discussion because those things don't get you the likes that you want. Like responding Mm -hmm. to someone's story being like, Oh, good job. Or this looks cool is not doing anything. It's private. It like all the things that now we've been conditioned to be motivated by. It's basically this is all happened because all these companies sort of saw TikTok, wanted to be TikTok focused on discovery rather than the reason people joined social media, which was to talk Mm -hmm. to each other. But then also like, my thing is I do think if they were like, okay, never – if Instagram was like, never mind, we're not – no more algorithm, chronological feed, we're scrapping everything, we're doing the same app again, I don't think – as much as I'm like, oh, is this Instagram's fault, I also think we as users would be like, mm-hmm. well, this is boring um, right. because right. we would – all those things that we were kind of raised to – or conditioned to sort of need would be gone. And, yeah. and so I think that's what's so hard and why when everyone's like, oh, why – like everyone wants old social media or they want blogs back or they want all these things. But when those things are actually introduced, they kind of fail because like, it's more just like, it, it's like you did this to me, Instagram, and now I can't go back. Um, yes. And so, 
And so, yeah, and, and now, now, um, platforms have started to realize, you know, I think there's been a fatigue now, though, of when people post these, just, be, just being billboards, just posting for other people and not really getting anything. Because if everyone is like, okay, I'm a poster, no one is a, it's either you're a poster or a lurker, but you're not the, you're not just a person connecting with friends. And so it's yeah, like, those are two very, if those are the only options, those are two very empty positions. And I think people are starting to not be, feel fulfilled by either one anymore. And that's why, you, like Instagram was saying, they've seen the most growth in DMs. And, and it's why there's, been, like, there's that great insider piece about group chats becoming the thing. And like dark mm-hmm. social is now what brands are talking about with people texting and, and things that they can't see. Cause I think, and I think all that is a reaction to being like, we went so hard in one direction and now social media is actually very lonely. And so, yeah, like my, I was thinking my group chat is, I don't really, I tweet my articles and that's it because any like fun thoughts I have, I just like spam my group chat with them. I'm sure to like sure. their annoyance. And, but like in, cause that's where, like th- that's where I know I'll, I know like I'm not going to get like a numeric value put on my thought, which I always mm-hmm. was, that was why I stopped doing it on Twitter because it was like I don't like that my life is being like evaluated this way. But um, and 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 also it's just those these are the people I care about like right. telling these things to. Um, so yeah, yeah it's you want to make time. sure that they're seeing the right, updates right. or whatever. Uh-huh. Like, that's the best way to make sure they do. Mm-hmm. Now, every year I give a social media trends presentation mm-hmm. in just here locally, um, and it's it's pretty widely attended mm-hmm. and it's a very popular conversation. Um, and so uh, I'm just going to like start prepping for it now because it's usually the first quarter of the year by asking you, <laughs> what do you, what do you think? Like just, um, and, and I think this is a good way to end, but like looking at the landscape and how much it's changed this year, especially mm-hmm. like more people posting to LinkedIn, Twitter, all but like folding in on itself, threads exploding and then disappearing as fast as it, mm-hmm. it showed up. Um, where do you think the social media landscape is going um, short term, like 2024? Mm-hmm. And and like, do you think about these things further out than that? Or is it even possible to do that? Yeah, I mean... I don't, I think it's that like, and I was seeing someone else say this, so this is like not my thought, um, but that um, we don't have room for all the apps that are being introduced right now. We only have like about, I think this was someone who was an original co-founder of Instagram Mm -hmm. who's not with them anymore. He was giving a, 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 a talk or answering a question and this is how he described it and so and this is what I kind of agree with is that there's always going to be kind of three in rotation because we just don't have the ability to be giving that much of ourselves to like to <laughs> seeing like a Harry Potter like we can't split our soul into that yeah. many different things like it, right. you become weaker <laughs> um, and so uh, and so I think what it is is we're seeing we're seeing definitely Twitter fall off. Um, Facebook, it's like, I want to say Facebook has fallen off, but it's fallen off culturally. I think it's fallen off culturally in the sense that a lot of an o- the older generation is on it and a lot of the younger generation is not joining in. So we're not going to see, not to be morbid, but until we kind of hit a cliff where mm-hmm. the users who were on it originally are no longer active <laughs> and uh and that but then it hasn't been adopted by the new people that's when we're going to see it materially i think go down um as much as i complain about instagram i don't think people are going to leave but i've heard it described as like that's gen z's facebook where they're mm-hmm. like they don't really use it but they're on it because everyone else is on it and so i do think when other apps like twitter fall apart um it's gonna people are gonna go back and it's like I don't have a specific concrete prediction for where things are going to go, but I do know that um, s- these companies are dictated by the collective action of their users. I was having this conversation right. after Taylor Lorenz with Taylor Lorenz after her book came out where it's just like the the entire um, history of the decision making of all these different platforms has been dictated by what power users on the platforms have been doing. And so it's platforms jobs to adapt and serve their, the people who are on it because the community is their product. Um, And so what I think will happen is that as these things fall apart, people will shift and these new dominant 
platforms will emerge. Like maybe it'll be LinkedIn because I've similarly heard everyone's going back to LinkedIn. Um, but and then now that they have that larger concentration of people, they will adapt to what it is those people want from it. And so Instagram is already adapting when they because they, they notice like, oh, DMs are happening. And so I think from there, we're going to see um, it's going to make changes to for that. Um, but then I also think, uh, like I mentioned, this sort of I do think texting group chats, um, mm-hmm. these type of things. I think there's a big discussion of like, is that social media? And I think it is in the, it, it is the in the purest form. Um, and I also think because I'm always thinking about stuff in terms of like traffic for like articles and stuff. I for me, I think that's you know, Twitter was never great, but also Twitter is making it just impossible to click on an article anymore. Like they're doing everything in their power to get rid of it. Instagram is really kind of hard with links. Um, and for me, I feel like uh, like when I write a story for GQ, like I, the way I describe what I want to write for it is I write a lot about relationship stuff and I, I want it to be something that a girlfriend sends to their boyfriend to be like, this is you or like vice Mm. versa. Um, And I've seen that happen. Like the problem with that is you can't really, you can't see it happening. You can't track it. That's why it's dark social. But I've seen like um, uh, someone posted like a screenshot of like the, the one that I know it was used in this way was I just wrote a piece called how to take a picture of your girlfriend because <laughs> th- it's something that I found boyfriends have trouble with. And so I, I like <laughs> consulted like a photographer to be like, what are some like steps? And that piece, like I saw screenshots of girlfriends sending it to their boyfriend to be like, you need this. Or like, I know for a, a couple who I'm like friends with it, they turned it, it became a meme for them because he has taken so many bad pictures of her that they'll, they'll, replace the photo that went with the story with one of the ones he's taken to kind of and it, they'll, they'll use it as like a meme format and then i'm like that is very meaningful engagement with the story um, truly yeah and that feels like better to me than someone just like liking it on twitter especially because people like stuff on twitter without reading the thing yeah oh exclusively. yeah exclusively i mean i do it too and so yeah. um and so this I, it's hard i basically i do not have an answer to really sum it up i think texting will continue to be pretty dominant uh, but I also think that as these platforms fall away, the sort of three that are in rotation, that'll always be a thing. And they will always adapt to the concentration of users that are on it and what they want. And also TikTok I'm, is not going anywhere. Yeah, That's my little sure. button of it all. <laughs> love that. Well, and, and I love the way that your mind works and I love how you share it with us. Um, the, the newsletter is embedded um, through Substack and uh, highly recommend that. Um, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about all these ideas. And, and honestly, like, I would love to have you back because it just brings up more and more and more questions. And no, I know that you'll, you'll have uh, a lot more written, you know, um, every day. So uh, thank you so much for <laughs> thank taking you. the time. Yeah, happy to come back anytime. This was great. The Paisanos Podcast is produced by Creagent Marketing. It's written and hosted by me, Sean Lukasik. You can find our show notes at paisanospodcast.com or visit our YouTube page to watch the video version. If you have guest or topic ideas, email me at sean at paisanospodcast.com. Thanks for listening.